I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, a conversation with award-winning writer and filmmaker, Shruti Ganguly. Stay tuned. So for anyone who knows me, I truly love concepts and big picture thinking that requires a vision. But I get particularly excited when that vision is executed into a real outcome by journeying through the planned steps and embracing all the twists and turns and surprises along the way. It's really art and science in synchrony. And speaking of which, thank you for artfully and scientifically listening to the show and sharing it with your friends, for subscribing to and downloading the podcast, and for following us on social media at Dr. Abhaydandika. So far, I've shared conversations on the show with so many who take their vision and transform it into art, which is certainly at the core of a seeming explosive renaissance of South Asian storytelling in the American entertainment industry. And someone who perhaps has a front row seat to this with both a global and a South Asian lens is the multi-talented Shruti Ganguly. Shruti is an award-winning writer and filmmaker who hails from India by way of Oman. She came to Northwestern in Chicago for college and then finished both an MBA and MFA at NYU. Shruti was a member of President Obama's Entertainment Creative Collaborative Outreach Committee and has produced or directed numerous innovative film and video projects with diverse artists, brands, and creators. In 2017, she started her own production company, Honto 88, bringing brave and bold vision to fruition in all mediums and working with artists like Keanu Reeves and James Franco. She's a published writer, the co-founder of the Resistance Revival Chorus, and most recently, she's been tapped to adapt Shilpi Somaya Gauda's internationally best-selling novel, Secret Daughter, for Amazon Studios, set to star Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Now based in both New York and Oslo, and given her appreciation and empathy for a global, diverse, and inclusive perspective, Shruti's work is helping to share stories with both specificity and truth. We caught up recently, and I know it may seem strange, but I wanted to start our conversation in asking Shruti about how her life sounds at the moment. You know, I, I'm fascinated by one thing that I read about you, and, and perhaps how apropos, we were just talking about this, to your name, Shruti, that you're someone who's guided relatively by sound, and that, you know, sonically, you, you have some steerings. And so, what does life and art and work sound like right now for you in 2022? Wow, thank you so much for that question. I also just quickly, I don't think I had an appreciation for my name until more recently. And just the backstory there, you know, being Bengali on my father's side, the oldest female relative on your dad's side picks the name. And so my very religious Hindu grandma picked Shruti, which obviously also refers, you know, it has a musical connotation, but really it means the truth from sound and the holy books of the Hindus come for the Vedas come from like the Shruti and the Smriti, that which is, you know, heard like the storytelling verbal oral tradition and Smriti is that what is seen visually. And so I think as a filmmaker, I've really connected on a different level with my name because as I've also started to see how I connect with my own work, I've 
found that sound has been a really important cue and driver for me. And I write to music. Um, I think in sound in so many ways, I edit knowing sound transitions more than visual ones sometimes. So at this very moment, what does my life sound like? Well, I would like to hope I always have some aspect of Motown mm. that keeps a certain beat in my step. And it has like a certain tempo and kind of there's, you know, some aspect of joy. And I think that that iteration in some ways in a modern sense, I've been listening to a lot of John Batiste, who's a friend of mine and Leon Bridges. So I feel like there's something about being able to walk down the street with a certain type of lightness that I need. That being said, when I have to concentrate, when it comes to working, I listen to one song on repeat many times. Wow. And that also happens when I'm flying because I don't enjoy flying so much. And so I listen to a certain track over and over again that uh, kind of, I don't know, it creates some type of momentum. And that tends to be a little bit more electro pop. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so does that, does that track vary? Does that almost like focus and, and concentrate? Uh, does it vary with the moment for you? Or is it something that's just a, an all-time favorite? It helps you, you calm down or, or helps you actually like concentrate or focus? I think it's more, it, it may be different songs. I may go back to some later, but um, it can range from like Solange's Losing You to a song by a Norwegian producer artist called Gundalak called Spiders. And there's something that I'm able to meditate to almost when I play it enough. So it's almost like there's a, there's a moment for, for the meditation on the music. And then there's also a moment for the just pure soundtrack in the background. I, I know that it's been almost five years since you found and launched your your production company in some ways thinking about the sounds of that thinking about this idea of having combinations of productivity and meditation and silence and reflection sort of having it mature and develop what are some of the highlights of maybe the things you've learned but particularly about yourself I mean, I love that this is called Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, because I think when I started my company, I had the counter to that, like, trust me, I don't know what I'm doing, Yeah, actually. And, you know, if I could tell myself like five years ago what was going to be happening, I would just be like, keep going, it's going to be fine. It's going to be yeah. okay. Because it's, you know, the entertainment business is a bit of the rodeo. I just found out you know, I'm, I'm meant to direct a movie in July. It's a film I've been attached to direct for the last five years. And then a couple of days ago, I found out that because of an actor's schedule on a TV show that now we have to adjust the dates to shoot a month prior. So I'm like, that's June. Wow. That's now. Yeah. So <laughs> it's definitely an entertaining industry, even for the ones who are in it. And I think you're just kind of like just trying to stay calm in the midst of things. And, you know, I'm currently writing a movie for Amazon and the film I'm directing is going to be distributed by Universal. So that's, you know, 
exciting news and I have a couple of shows at Warner Brothers and I can tell you all the things that are going on but you know it sounds like it all happened overnight but it's taken all these years and a lot of rejection and some yeses and some breakthroughs and some changes and but it's been an incredible like growth period I'd say professionally and personally. I wonder if that resilience and the ability to endure has has that been something that for you has in fact changed your levels of confidence? I mean, the enthusiasm and the creativity and the art are there, and I imagine they were there in the very beginning, and maybe even that's evolved. But I, I wonder that through all those times of having to be flexible and and really sort of adapt with the industry, whether your confidence. And, and the trust that you have in yourself has, has grown and matured too. I mean, to be honest, before I started the company, I was not in a very good place. I was in a pretty dark place because I had, you know, was partners, you know, had a partnership falling out and with a very close friend of mine. And honestly, it like made me spiral into, you know, a dark place. And I was very, I had lost all of, sense of hope and wanting to be in this business because I thought if you're going to get screwed over by someone who you know and love and then how can you trust other people in this industry sure and I ordered LSAT books because I was (laughs) like I'm gonna finally go to law school even though I already have an MBA and an MFA and I frankly probably do not need any more degrees but I was like I need enough contracts right is that the is that the default when all else fails get your LSAT books going (laughs) (laughs) I think at least you know that you're not going to be emotional about contracts right I think that I was already starting at a low point and ironically I was producing a film at that point that I had developed with this director, Chris Keneally, and with Keanu Reeves, who was an exec producer uh, on the project. And the three of us had been working on this film. And we had these other producers who were, you know, all guys, white dudes, straight white guys. And they all had companies. And I was like, you know what? I need to have a company too. And it's not like I actually wanted to have a company, but I just didn't want it to be and just my name. And so I kind of started this company more because I was like, well, they have one. I will to run a company to, you know, to be uh, like a founder's CEO type is not, I'm a filmmaker who has a production company is really how I would look at it. And so it's been a really, you know, I think I was lucky to have, you know, some colleagues and people that I've been working with who wanted to kind of join that kind of nutty ride. And I think that's really also how I was probably able to keep doing this for the last several years. I think that's so fitting that at some point you have to sort of embrace the nuttiness of it and and call it for what it is. But uh, on top of that, I, I saw that you also learned how to drive a tractor. So if you can, if you can do that, then I'm, I'm sure that you can kind of tackle anything, right? I mean, it was so funny here. I was like filming north of new orleans and then what do i see but a mahindra tractor i was like go brown people that's right <laughs> here you that's are right you're listening to trust me i know what i'm doing after a quick break we'll come back to our conversation with shruti ganguli stay tuned ruckus avenue radio
Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with award-winning writer and filmmaker Shruti Ganguly. As a creator, like you said, you're a filmmaker who, who has a production company or runs a production company. When you have a vision with an outcome and you have that in mind and you're trying to execute that vision, how then do the adaptability and the flexibility play a role? Do you have to, in some ways, kind of change what that vision is or, or do you have to change the way that you get there? I think you can always have a vision for what you want the project to be, but because a certain project, like let's take a film, for example, also has so many variables and so many other people who are stakeholders, Yeah, that vision also has to accommodate things from timing and budget and you're not going to get, you know, all the crew that you worked with because people get booked. And so at the same time, if I can be very clear about what I would really like and make, take the initiative, make the Pinterest board, make the decks, the lookbooks, just so I can articulate that vision versus relying on someone to know what I'm talking about, which is not fair to collaborator, but to also know that it is in that collaboration with someone else that even better things will come about. Yeah. That, that, that vision is not just one-sided. That being said, I think if you you know, are, are kind of feeling pushed against the wall, like, wait, how am I supp- supposed to direct this scene, which is a key emotional point under this time constraint? I can't do this on only one single shot. I need to have it covered in different ways to be able to convey an emotional arc. Then you should fight for some of those things, but know that, that that'll affect the rest of your day. And your- so you have to make these adjustments. Yeah. And I mean, as someone with a business background, I mean, it sounds like you have to really sort of get through the nuts and bolts, but you have a larger vision in mind and you have so many collaborators and stakeholders, but do you ever find a joy in sort of being almost like blissfully content or is there all, I mean, especially once you finish something, because sometimes it's hard to know when you're done or, or do you find that that contentment is always waiting for the next project? You know, is there a different fulfillment with that? Can you ever rest um, there's a song that we sing at our resistance revival chorus or with our resistance revival chorus. And it's a line taken from an old song and it says, we who believe in freedom cannot rest, which I love. And yeah. I, I think that that is also, you know, in some ways a torment of many artists. I don't yeah. like to see things that are complete because I would probably go back and want to change and dissect things and realizing when you got to put the brushes down right <laughs> or to say cut you know i think that that's also really where your you can surprise yourself through your collaborations and through the ideas of your collaborators and yeah. prepare to be amazed because then you know that the magic started to happen through those relationships and you have to be very open to it and but that being said, I really don't like to revisit things I've made. Like when I have to show videos or films of things I've made before, I, I would prefer to not be there. <laughs> is it mostly because you, you find that you'll just be too self-critical or is it because you've already moved on from that space? I think both. I would probably want to figure out how I can change something or that, yeah, I'm on to the next already. And I've always wondered this, 
as perhaps someone who has a gift and a thirst even for for good storytelling, do you find it hard to keep a secret? I mean, especially when it's a good story that you have in mind? I keep very good secrets from my friends. You know, when I, I've always found that when I have something that's just brewing and I've got to get it out there and it's it's such a great idea and I want to tell a story, that it's it's nearly impossible for me to just keep it sort of hidden. And I imagine that there is sort of context to secrets. But, um, but as a storyteller, is that sort of a curse, especially if you have a gift? I think it's also about how you, you know, it's interesting because like I'm writing a book adaptation right now for a- Amazon and my characters have secrets and it's really fun to decide how to reveal them. So I think you have to know how to keep secrets to be a filmmaker yeah. because you have to know how to reveal certain truths at certain times and when. And I mean, even when it comes to the documentary part of my work, um, you know, to your point, I'd like to think that I'm, you know, more than a filmmaker, I'm more of a listener. Like as long as, you know, my cinematographer and I've decided what it looks like when I'm sitting in front of someone and talking to them, I'm completely focused on them. They could be talking to me in many languages, you know, any language that I don't even understand. But I think if you really pay attention, you really know what they're talking about. Well, um, and speaking of that, you have footprints and history and roots now in many, many places. How has that experience been a major informant, particularly for relationship building and community building, compared to someone who perhaps has been in New York City or Mumbai or or Muscat uh, or Oslo for for generations? Well, you know, I grew up in Oman as an expat. And you, when you're growing up in a place where you're not from, but you're surrounded by community, but you also have an incredible local community as well and an international yeah. community. But I would say that my parents were so focused on community building. My mother did a lot of work for so, you know, in social justice. My parents are incredibly social. They make me look like an introvert, which I'm not. But, you know, we, so we've always kind of grown up with like, a certain joie de vivre and like really genuinely caring for people around you, for your friends around you. And that has just been the foundation I'd say for myself and my brother that we're pretty comfortable being in new places and being open and absorbing and not showing up, imposing our notions and without listening first and being respectful of other cultures and communities and I'd say that that's greatly informed my work as a filmmaker. Right now, at this moment, you're also someone who's kind of witness to and and perhaps can speak to what I think are kind of two circles in the South Asian Venn diagram right now of art and film. And and those are the South Asian American stories and stories of kind of the, the global Indian and South Asian experience. And... I wonder if there's a value at all of more merging of these. I mean, do, do they mature differently? Do they, do they have to mature a little bit more before merging? Do they need to merge? What, what's your reflection on this? I think that's a really interesting question because when I first came to the U.S. for undergrad, I felt like there was such a disconnect between Indian Americans and Indians from India. And I was kind of in this odd place of being 
an Indian who grew up in the Middle East, but then I went to high school in India to an international school. So just a weirdo. And that too, I also had you know, a bit of an American international accent, but then speak Hindi and understand it pretty fluently. But I will say that that is changing. And I think that there's a great merger because I think as a community in the U.S., there's a greater acceptance now of being, of claiming one space and identity. I think that there was this aspect of, you know, an immigrant or first gen to be, you know, whiteness was something to aspire towards because that's what success looked like. Success had a certain type of feeling, you know, that you, the, the less of your culture that you could be in, you know, white spaces, the better it would be. Whereas if you're an Indian from India, you just know how to be in your own Indianness for the most part. There's a pretty good roadmap for that one. Yeah. So I think now we're in this interesting place of really dissecting and delving into our conversations around migration and understanding our shared history. You know, it's like the 75th year of partition. We're really kind of diving in to understanding who we are and where we've come from. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Shruti Ganguly. Stay tuned. Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with award-winning writer and filmmaker Shruti Ganguly. Do you find that, you know, for you personally, that these... I wouldn't say dichotomy of stories, but at least the the diversity of stories is important to dissect out as opposed to really diving in. I mean, I I can speak perhaps to the Indian American experience or the South Asian American experience, but I can't necessarily speak to the experience of what it's like to be a global Indian. But I'm interested in that as well as those who are dissecting out what's going on in in the South Asian American experience. And I, I wonder if that's precisely where something like Secret Daughter sort of is emblematic. Yeah, I mean, I think that what the the amazing thing with more South Asian stories coming out is that we have to, I think, lean into more specificity than ever before and push against, I think, this kind of broad Indian Hindu generalization that is also representative of South Asian culture. You know, when you think that India has the largest population of Muslims in the world as a country, 200 million, you know, you're like, where are some of those stories that are also kind of hitting in, you know, the kind of North American media uh, content, content, anywhere for that matter, you know, and so that's really important, because it's often ignored. And the other aspect is, even though we don't like to talk about it, it's like we, you know, unless we boycott our own last names, you know, we will always have a reference to cast. So I think that there's a lot of dissection that one has to even do with one's own identity, but then creating a space to allow for other stories and uh, that type of awareness. And, you know, my my mother is Anglo-Indian and, you know, practicing Christian. We grew up, my father is 
Hindu. We grew up in Oman in a Muslim country. And I met the Dalai Lama when I was in high school because we had a relationship with the Tibetan government in exile. And I was like, I'm going to be Buddhist. And so I think having that type of multi-faith, multicultural, multi, you know, Indian or South Asian culture in general is quite multi and we need to kind of bring that into the fold more. And hopefully at one point I'll have to explain it. Right. Well, are there guardrails to this at all? Especially being cognizant to South Asian stories that don't account for this kind of evolution and mixture and, and blending, like you said, the multi part of it. This, this transformation of identity with a lot more increasing heterogeneity and global influence. In some ways, if you don't merge or, or don't actually treat it with seriousness, does the South Asian American story then, if you don't, if you're not cognizant of that, does it face a threat of irrelevance? Well, I think if you're not, I mean, and this is the role of filmmakers and people in media is to make you know to take some responsibility and accountability for that awareness and therefore that action when it comes to the choices and because stereotypes have been perpetuated i mean most things that have south asians on tv always have a diwali party or a wedding like is that the only thing that's synonymous culturally with us and i think there's so much more what about christmas what about a South Asian Christmas? We're always talking about Christmas movies. You know, Christmas in my family is bigger than anything else. Most people yeah. know, right? So we have to push for that and be like, that is an authentic experience. Sure. So, you helped host a, a pre-Oscar South Asian excellence event. And I was struck by one thing that uh, Utgarsha Amburga wrote. And he, he wrote a line that said, we used to compete in isolation and, and now we congregate in celebration in collective contemplation of our next move. And so what's the next move, both maybe individually for you and collectively? Well, one of the things that one started to find is that there was this aspect also coming from this notion of a model minority. There was this deep-rooted idea that there would only be space for one of us, right? Because that's how the industry views us. And to some extent, they've done that. They've pitted yeah. people against each other. And the only way to counter that is for South Asians to come together and be like, we are going to be, you know, people are going to kind of assume we're all the same and we're not. Yeah. And if we don't band together and also kind of fight for making sure that we're controlling the narrative and those choices, then we're never going to come together as a community and make sure that we'll have those more complex stories and characters in media. And so at the pre-Oscar event, which was so such an incredible room, I mean, the fact that there were 10 South Asian nominees, that's really why we were coming together. And those films, you know, you had the first filmmaker from Afghanistan. Afghanistan is often ignored when it comes to like understanding South Asian context. You had the yeah. first Oscar nominee from Bhutan. The you had a film from the UK. You had um, a film. The one film from India was also digging into you know uh, a newsroom that was fighting against Modi's India. You know, in terms of like violence against women, nastism, and so on. 
an, an anti, you know, an, an Islamophobia. So when you're looking at the diversity of, you know, the films that, and filmmakers who were selected, it was an incredible moment for everyone to come together to celebrate them and to be in a room with execs in Hollywood to say, okay, here we are. And there's enough of us. And that was the thing that was amazing where was several people, you know, who you know, said we've been in this industry for two decades. And there used to be like one or two of us in these rooms. And now there's hundreds of us. Right. And so I think that visibility, that comfort that we don't need to compete, even though we may have to for certain roles and so on, but we're going to approach it as healthy competition and create other opportunities and so on that's ultimately how we can grow and make better things well growing and making better things is hopefully a great mantra for everyone Shruti, thank you so much for for joining us what a treat and i hope we'll get a chance to catch up again yes thank you so much uh, it was wonderful to be here and trust me i still don't know what i'm doing now <laughs> we'll, we'll both we'll both make our way there how's that yeah good good idea and you can learn more about Shruti and her work at Honto88.com. Trust me, I know what I'm doing should not be taken on an empty stomach and may cause euphoria, curiosity, concern, introspection, and possibly elation. Consult your friends and family and maybe even a doctor prior to consumption. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar.